Good morning. Good morning. Great to see you guys. Love that enthusiasm out there this morning. Well, hey, this morning we've got uh, we've got a quick agenda for a lot to try and get done today. If you are new to Lakeview or this is the first time you have been a part of what we call Mission Reminder Sunday, uh, we want to do exactly that. And so this is what this is the game plan. What I hope to do here in the next few minutes is to is to preach from God's word a reminder of the mission that we are on together, and to freshly invigorate that mission that we that God knew that it takes people being partnered together, as Evan mentioned just now, to bring forth His purpose upon the earth. He does not do that. Apart from us, he doesn't do that in spite of us. He does that in cooperation with us. And so I'm going to share from the word for a few moments. And then uh, our, our goal is to be at 11 o'clock uh, shifting from this preaching setting into a family business meeting setting where we will give some, some details of, of what's going on in the church and just uh, financial aspects of the church different ministries of the church, etc. During that portion of the meeting, you'll have opportunities to, to ask some questions. I know a couple of folks have sent some text questions in. Um, I think Evans made, I don't even know how to tell you to text anything at this point. I don't know if we've got anything up there. So you may have to just wait till the meeting if you want to text something of a question in that you've got uh, for that meeting. You, you can do that probably during the meeting, but I have to let one of the guys update us on how to do that. But you'll, there'll be a microphone, and if you want to ask us some questions, this is a time for you to interact with the elders. And I'll, I'll share some more details on that when we get to it. But here's the two things I want to do. I want to clarify from Scripture for a moment, what are we doing? And I, and I want that to be an obvious-sounding question, which sometimes that's the thing we overlook the quickest, right? The obvious things. What are we doing? And then when we get to the business meeting portion, if you will, how are we going about doing what we're doing? How do we do that? And so today I, I hope to, to bring strategy and realities into the same room. And, and so some of what we're just trying to do today is to prepare us to move into the next decade with an understanding of we've designed the church a certain way, but first, does that design reflect the biblical priorities for a local church? And that's where we want to start. But let me, let me back into something a little bit more familiar to, to get to this. You know, owning the mission of the church can be a little bit like owning a car, right? Now, maybe not everybody in here owns the mission of the church, but most everybody in here owns a car. And so you get this. But do you recognize that when you, when you own a car, you have some things in common with everybody in the room here. There's a limited number of things that go into car ownership, and everybody's doing them. At some point, you decided to buy a car. So everybody in here is familiar with buying, taking out a loan, having a car note, familiar territory for all of us, getting car insurance, doing routine maintenance, like you know, getting the oil changed, the tires rotated. We've all got that in common. Maybe unusual repair work is needed from time to time, dings and bumps and major things that break. We've got some of those experiences in common. Then there's just routines that go into owning a car. Like, you know, do you remember where you put your car keys? I know, that can be a challenge for some of you. Some of you are car key challenged. You know who you are. Um, 
You got to learn how to drive a car, right? You got to sit in traffic. And we all got some of these things in common. So there's, in some way, there's nothing new under the sun in owning a car. We've got all these things in common. People have gone before us who have owned cars. They've all done these things. And now we're doing them. Now, in some way, that's kind of like what owning a vision for the church is about, too. It's common. If you're in this church or that church over there, we ought to have a lot of things in common. We're, we're, we're all kind of doing some of the same thing. And Lakeview Christian Center hasn't invented some new way, some cutting edge. We are unique in the kingdom of God church world. We ought to look like a church back in 1960, 1860, 1260, the first century. We ought to be doing a lot of the same things. But I, I do get this, even in the car illustration part of this. Not everybody owns the vision at the same level. Um, some people in here would not realize that the car needs to have the oil changed. You've never been involved in changing the oil. You don't know how to change the oil and you trust somebody else in your household is looking out for that. You may not even know where the car keys are right now. You may be in that category. Uh, you may not know who insures your vehicle. You just drive the thing, right? <clears throat> Somebody else has got to worry about finding insurance and all that kind of stuff. That's how we own the vision for the church as well. There's pieces of it that some of us just don't pay attention to. We, we're not specialists in this area. We don't, but, but this really matters. You know, whether or not we have leather upholstery, upholstery or whether or not I can use the car on Friday night. Those are the things that matter to us. But there's pieces of the church that are like that too. So part of what we've got to do together is got to get an appreciation for there are categories that might not be your favorites, but they're every bit as important as your favorites. And so that's what I want to try and accomplish that today. So I'm going to move quickly through a lot of stuff in this category. <coughs> Excuse me. But let's start with Colossians chapter 1. And I've color-coded an outline for you there. I want you to see three things as we look at this passage. I want us to see the Apostle Paul speaking of strategy. Being a local church, doing ministry in the New Testament involves strategy. You, you should be approaching this in a particular way. And that's true for us as a local church. So you're going to find some of that in the, in the blue category. Some of the language in scripture that's blue is Paul revealing. There's a strategy for what he's doing in these churches. The green is going to highlight what is it that we are pursuing? What are we after? We, we want to achieve some things. We want to accomplish some things as a church. And that's going to be found in this passage as well. And none of these are exhaustive, but they're really going to be helpful to give us some meaningful categories. And then there's this last category in the red. What do we seek protection from? The church is a means of protection in our lives. And when we stop recognizing that, we become vulnerable to the very things it's trying to protect us from. So as a church, we have a strategy together. It's good for us all to know that. We are seeking to accomplish certain things together, and we are seeking to be protected from certain things together. And let's, let's look at that together real quickly. And I'm, I'm going to highlight the, the words that are in color and skim through the others just to help us catch this real quick. So Colossians 1, Paul says this, verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, 
That is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God. I'm sorry, got something in my throat today. To make the word of God fully known, right? These words, I can't unpack these things. I just want you to catch the verbiage here. Fully known as opposed to what? Partially known as opposed to minimally known. How many guys would be okay with being a part of a church where the word of God is minimally known? Let's put that over the front of our church. Come to our church where the word of God is minimally known, right? So you're going to have to aim at something because that could be the story of the church. A church where the word of God is minimally known. Can you guys imagine some churches that are really that way in our day? Yeah. It goes on and says, The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Here's strategy. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. If you want just a, a statement right there, just a concise statement, and that is a difficulty, trying to find a concise statement that represents everything a church is supposed to be. But that's at the heart of what we are about. We are at the end of this, when we have closed the book on Lakeview Christian Center, at the end of it, we are trying to present everyone mature in Christ. Not just, I barely knew him. Not just, well, I, I knew a few things about him. But mature, deep, knowing God intimately and, and deeply. For this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Right, so here, here's three quick things from that strategy, right? There is a stewardship here. Paul says, I'm a minister by the stewardship of God. God has ordained that, that certain people would exist and play roles in the life of the church. And Paul is highlighting, he's one of those guys. God has a stewardship and he puts things in place for the sake of ministry to happen among us. And that ministry is to take people into a deeper realm of experiencing and knowing God. And it's going to be work to do this. If church, and I know, and I'm going to, I don't have time to do all the thoughts I'd love to do. Um... There there are some, and I know this is the case, there are some people, if church ever feels like it's work, that's not a church they want to be a part of. Because life is hard enough, isn't it? I mean, mean, and I get that, I'm sympathetic. You do life all week long, you just run ragged, life is hard, things go bad, relationships are a struggle, there's work, there's difficulties at work, there's financial elements, there's health stuff. I, I don't want church to feel like work. I want to go to a church where, you know, I just get refreshed. I get strengthened when I go. Okay. Paul, what do you have in mind here? Because Paul's idea of doing church is going to involve words that feel like toil and struggle. And then the challenge of doing that with the energy that God supplies. 
That's a little mysterious, isn't it? That's something we want to learn and grow more in, that we are empowered mysteriously by God, by the Spirit, to do things that feel like to us they are toil and struggle. Right, well, that's, this is Paul's strategy for the church. Then in green, these are things that we are after. Here's what we want to experience and we want to know these things. He says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. That they're, here's what Paul's after, that their hearts may be encouraged, knit together in love to reach the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, right? This is, this is what Paul wants to attain. I want to attain these things. I want this to be how people are doing life. I want this to be the, the stories that they tell, the testimonies that they have, that they experience encouragement and love and full assurance, understanding and knowledge of God's mystery. In verse 6 he goes on and he says, Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Now listen again, this is kind of like those of you who don't change your oil. You know, when I read that, rooted. Okay, so immediately as a pastor, I recognize you're not just to be set. You're to be rooted. There's a difference. And I don't take for granted and none of the leaders take for granted that all you got to do is just get saved and kaboom, it's done. You've just been set in the kingdom. No, no, no. Paul's strategy here is you are to be set and then rooted. So we're going to be strategizing ways in which your life can be rooted. The roots are going to go down. And you're not just going to be saved. You're going to be built up in him. And you're going to be established in the faith. There's a difference between being introduced to the faith and being established in the faith. You've got storms ahead of you. You've got challenges ahead of you. You've got suffering ahead of you. You have to make it from new birth all the way to the end when you stand before Jesus, the great judge. Do you understand? That's going to involve rooting and building up and establishing people in the faith. And a legitimate question for the church needs to be, okay, So how are we going to do that? It's not just enough to be a gathering of Christians. Paul is laying out strategy here for things that need to be achieved and experienced. And now he's going to begin to warn there's going to be problems along the way. In verse 4, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible Arguments. So, so what the Bible says is not the only stuff you're going to come in contact with. How the Bible describes God. How the Bible describes time and values and life and lifestyle and eternity and what matters. The Bible will not be the only information you will come across. You are going to hear other ideas that are going to sound plausible. The Bible actually uses that word against untruthful things. It says they're going to sound like they're right. And if you lack depth and discernment, you're going to fall for it. Verse 8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, 
according to the elemental spirits of the world. And then in verse 16, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow so here's what's coming. Here's, you get saved yesterday. You become part of a church. Here's what's on the calendar in the world that you and I live in. Plausible arguments, philosophies of men, human traditions that are going to sound right. And that people will pursue them. You understand nobody escapes this. Disciples of the Apostle Paul who walked with him personally did not escape these realities. Ever read just a little brief line? You'll you'll overlook this if you haven't caught this guy's name in more than one place. Demas has departed having loved this present world. Who the heck is Demas? Demas is a guy who was personally discipled by the Apostle Paul. Wow, what came across Demas's radar that made him go, hmm, I think I'm into that now. I think I'm going to go pursue that now. Do, do you understand that's in everybody's calendar? There's a date coming for you and for me. Where whatever conviction you have, that has given you a heart to live for the kingdom of God, something plausible is going to come to you. A philosophy of men, a well thought out explanation, an argument is going to be made and presented to you. And you're going to be tempted to cash this in to live for something else. So when I hear that, and Apostle Paul was the one who said that, then as a local church, we want strategies in place for that day for your soul. So some of what we're doing here needs to answer to those kinds of issues that are coming our way. And and, and if if you read anything about church history, you recognize the church doesn't get out of the first century without what Paul warned them about coming true. In the first century, there is false teaching. There is waywardness. There is divisions in the church over doctrine and understanding. And you just scoot into the... It's a fun thing to study church history and to see how the wheels come off. It's sobering. The second century's got another different little set of ideas that came along that divided the church and created schisms. The third century's got another little set. Fourth century. Every century's got its own fresh way of derailing truths and ideas about God. So what Paul warned about here is a reality. You and I live in a day today where the church in the western hemisphere is desperate for revival. Desperate for revival. Because these things are surfacing for us in realities as well. The church needs a strategy in the face of that. And then there's little things that are going to creep in here that he highlights. Let no one disqualify you, verse 18. Let no one disqualify you. Insisting on asceticism. Right, this severe self-inflicted treatment of the body as a, a means of accomplishing godliness. Worship of angels. Going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, not holding fast to the head. 
And he goes on a little bit later in verse 20. He says, don't submit to regulations. All right, so these things now have come into the church and they've become regulations. If you want to be a part of our church, you have to subscribe to this, 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 and this. And that's not even exactly spelled out in the Bible. But if you want to fit in here, you better get in line. You ever been to a church like that? You might feel like this is a church like that sometimes. I'm serious. There are convictions that can be had that, that you rightly should be saying, hey, can you show me that in the Bible? Because that's a priority for us. That what we do and what we practice can be shown to you from the Bible. But then there are other matters that have become matters of opinion because they're not clearly shown in the Bible. And you don't want to turn those things into regulations. What, what he calls earlier shadows. Secondary things. You guys ever been a part of a church where secondary things became primary things? Now, no one ever admits this. If you're a pastor, you never admit this. And the, the church documents, like the statement of faith and all the stuff that we believe, always highlights the right stuff. But if you're going to be a part of that church, you're going to subscribe to these particular little things. And they're, they're shadows often. They're not the substance. They're the secondary matters. See, the church is called to make sure you get the primary matters right. And then leave some room for secondary matters that will include people having a variety of opinions and approaches in that category. And you're free to have yours. Somebody else is free to have theirs. But Paul's warning is be careful. Because the church can turn into the first church of secondary issues. And you're going to be a part of our church. That's what we're going to be all about. And we're all up in your face. And we're all making you feel shamed by not being on the right page in the right category. All right, these are issues that, that plague churches. He says human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom. This stuff will all look churchy and good. In promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value. In stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So we don't want to be the church of no value. We don't want to not have a strategy and just let things default to the loudest group of people in the church get to determine some of these things. And everybody gets to feel like they're measuring up or not measuring up because this little group over here is determining what the church should or shouldn't feel like. That's not a good strategy because Paul clearly says there's going to be winds of doctrine and ideas that are going to blow in and out of the church over the years, over the centuries. Local church, you better have a strategy in place for when these things take place. Now, I don't know, depending on probably your age a little bit. um, You know, at some point, vision statements became in vogue. They weren't always in vogue, even when I was, since I've been a pastor. uh, They weren't really in vogue in the 70s and 80s. It started to get in vogue in the 90s. So the attempt was to create a, a, just one statement, something brief, terse, kind of a little thing. that This is your church, sort of like a logo, a slogan, if you will, for your church. Uh, but I, I challenge you, because I mean, I read through stuff, I got convinced that was very critical and important. Try to find one statement that just really encapsulates everything the local church is supposed to be. Uh, I've tried. It's a very, very hard thing to do. Uh, So what I want to make sure we hear today is no matter what one statement you're looking for, and and I'll validate a bunch of them. If you come bring me a good one, I'll say, yeah, that's a a good one. Um, But I've heard people, I've heard leaders, and I will say this in opposition. If you're a leader 
who thinks all the only vision statement you need to have is something that's so overly simplistic like, hey, Keith, I don't know about all this stuff that you're going to be talking about today. Um, in my church, we're just into loving Jesus, man. You ever hear somebody tell you that? Um, I'm trying to be limitedly insulting in response. Uh, that's cool. You know, we're into loving Jesus too. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> when I wake up on Monday morning, when I go to do life, when I fill up my time slots, when I interact with people, I, there's going to be activity, right? So it, that's a good one thing to be just loving Jesus. That, that wouldn't be my, my phrase would probably have the glory of God in it. Right? As a matter of fact, our slogan does, growing together for the glory of God. Okay, that's my a shot at a terse statement. Uh, well, Keith, what, is it, what the heck does that mean? Well, I'm going to try and tell us today what the heck does that mean. Because in doing one thing, we're going to find out you probably need to be doing several things in order to do that one thing. Right? Just like owning a car is one thing, but it involves several things, doesn't it? Well, owning the mission of a church... It's maybe trying to do one thing ultimately, but it's, it's going to have to do several things in order to do those one things, right? So that's where I, I want to land in this last section here. But let me just make this quick statement about, you know, what we're doing here. I'll put a little section in your outline that says, we are duplicators, not originators, right? Every church should look like this. It should look like... Uh, a massive assembly line sort of thing. It should just be taking something and passing it on and taking something and passing it on and taking something and passing it on. That, that's what churches should be doing. That's what ministry should be doing. It shouldn't be, hmm, let's see. No, 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 you just, y'all keep that. That was for y'all. We want to do something new. It should never be that. Did you hear me? It should never ever be that does that mean you won't have to tweak the things for your culture and your generation and where you are geographically uh yeah tweaking is different than inventing we are not originators we are just duplicators and i love the way paul sounds when he handles this right first corinthians 15 i would remind you brothers of the gospel i preached to you which you received. You didn't invent it. It doesn't originate with you. You just received it. In which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you. Where'd you get this stuff? Well, it was delivered to you by Paul. Verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. This is what Paul did. From God came something that he just transferred elsewhere. From God came something that he just transferred elsewhere. And that's, that's what the church ought to be doing today. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three 23 says the same thing. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Chapter 11, verse 2. Maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. Okay, so, so now there, there are certain practices here. And I'll define that word traditions in just a second here. It doesn't mean human traditions. As a matter of fact, Paul clarifies that in Galatians 1. The gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. I, I didn't find a little group who came up with a cool idea and borrow their idea and then transfer it to everybody. No, no, what I got came to me as a revelation. I received it as a revelation from Jesus Christ. He's the originator. 
every church needs to figure out if what they're doing originates in God the Father revealed by the Holy Spirit through the Son. If you can't figure that out and you just came up with some cool ideas, well, I think we should do this and I think we should do that. I think we've got to be a church emphasizing this. Uh, Paul said, that's not where I got my gospel. I'm just transferring something I received from Christ. First Thessalonians, he told all the churches this. As you received from us, how you ought to walk and to please God. Stop. Well, what if your mission statement is, we're just loving Jesus. Okay, I appreciate that. We're all called to be loving Jesus. But have you thought about how you ought to walk? And to please God. Well, I don't know about all that. I'm just into loving Jesus. Oh, end of our conversation. I'm sorry. We're done. Because you're not reading the Bible. And the Bible actually gets into some details. Paul expected when he talked to these churches and he looked back at them and said, Hey, I taught you to do some things. Are you doing those things? I don't think it's an infinite list of things, but I think it is a very important list of things. 2 Thessalonians 2. Stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. That's interesting, that word tradition there. This, this word means what is transmitted. It means to entrust, to give into the hands of another. So, so what are we doing as a ministry? Well, that's what we're doing. We're just, we're just taking some ideas that originate in the first century and go back to the beginnings of God forming how his people would exist on planet Earth and we're just transmitting them to others. That's what we're doing. We're not here to invent something that no one's ever heard before or no one's ever done before. We're just here to transmit things that God has entrusted to us as a local church. So, let me give you, I've got 10 minutes to do this. Um, all right, here we are, and I'm going to spend some time in 2019 doing this, so I'm not going to, this, this is going to be the table of contents, I'm going to call it that. So this is kind of like reading the table of contents with me right now. It's 2019. We are less than a year away from the next decade. Sometimes it's good to think in decades. Because years get real familiar. I've done a bunch of years. New years, they come pretty frequently now. Decades, not so much. Right? I'm going to be entering only my sixth decade. And the first two, I really wasn't paying attention to. So they probably don't even count. So each one of those decades, the world around me took on certain emphasis and themes and feels. I was born in the 60s. 70s, or you had that revolutionary decade thing going on. The 80s was maybe the materialistic decade. 2000s was the technological decade. So our world is going to shift and change. The 2020s will have their own script to write. And, and we will have to interact with it. And that will take wisdom, care, prayer. But in some ways, for the church, the, the blueprint of whatever it is we're going to build in 2020, we already know what that is. Because we're just going to keep taking things that we've received and transmitting them. We're going to transmit them into the decade of the 20s. But, but we're not going to reinvent the church and have it become something that it never was historically or originally delivered in revelation from God. So in some ways, our greatest obligation, 
Our primary obligation will be to know what it is that we've received that we are to deliver. Our secondary obligation will be to figure out how to do that in the 20s. Because we probably are going to need to adjust some things. Because life is changing, culture is changing, etc. But let me just make sure that we're aware. What are the key ingredients that we are to transfer here into this coming decade? Well, I've titled this little section, Seven Hills to die on. And, and whether we can ever come up with a little slogan that says we're ultimately doing one thing, I would say to do that one thing, whatever we're going to end up calling it, you're going to have to do these seven things. These are seven critical ingredients. And I'm calling them hills to die on, right? You know what that phrase comes from? It, it's, a, it's a war terminology. And sometimes we use it in our homes because there's, there's war in our homes and raising children in particular. And parents look at each other and say, well, that's not a hill to die on, right? Have you used that phrase that way? So, hey, this is an issue, but it's not so big an issue that we're going we're gonna to go to war and die on this hill right here. But that gives away that, oh, so there are some hills to die on? Well, yes, there are. And in war settings, there are, you know, not every piece of land is equally important. There are certain strategic pieces of land, and you know, the, the hills to die on is the idea, you want to be fighting your enemy from a higher elevation, it gives you an advantage over them. So there would be hills to die on if you were going to fight a war. That hill right there, we cannot lose that piece of ground. It's critical to the mission that we're on. If we lose that, we lose the war probably. So that is a hill to die on. Do not ever surrender that hill. Shoot the last bullet and die right there fighting for that hill. Unlike that one over there, that one we won't die on that one. That's important, but it's not important like that. There are issues like that in the Bible. That they are hills to die on. And, and churches need to be prepared to die on certain hills and not die on other ones. These would be seven hills to die on. And this is a table of contents introduction. All these need their own space. They all need to be talked about. And as we go into 2020, I'm going to find ways for us to visit these areas so that we have vision in our hearts and value for each and every one of them. So here's my table of contents reading of these things. I'm not going to develop these. I'm just going to lay them before you. Hills to die on for a local church. One, prayer. And 10 years from now, let us be able to answer these questions about each one of these. Did Lakeview Christian Center, did you secure the hill of prayer? The activity of personal and corporate dependence on God and communion with God that brings forth God's purpose on earth as it is in heaven. How many of you guys know that not all churches pray well? Did you know that? Did you know that, that if you were to attend a conference, because I remember this statistic, that pastors were attending on spiritual disciplines and a poll was taken on how much time they spent each week praying it was, it was embarrassing to think you can lead a church with that kind of interaction with God. This thing gets, I, I put it first because it's the, it's the first thing you'll forget. It's the easiest thing to neglect. It's the hardest thing to do. But you cannot, this is a hill to die on. A church cannot be the church if it does not pray. Number two, the word Did you defend the hill of the ministry of the word of God? 
the cornerstone activity of the church in making disciples features, it features learning. Disciple has hidden in it the Greek word for learner. It features teaching, preaching, and equipping with a knowledge of the scriptures and sound doctrine. Ten years from now, we will need to answer the question. Were we faithful in this category? Did we secure that hill and live on that hill no matter what the culture did no matter what how busy our lives became that nobody had time to read the bible anymore did we fight shed blood and die on that hill or did we just kind of get pushed along to where we become a church where somewhere in my life there's a bible that's a hill to die on the spirit jesus summarized some ministry in spirit and truth dimensions of the spirit did you diligently pursue the ministry of the holy spirit the empowering and manifest presence of the holy spirit who is being poured out in these last days and who makes god's people distinct by imparting god's nearness comes by the spirit god's gifts come by the spirit god's fruit god's transformation and god's kingdom coming among us, right? We toil and struggle with the energy that God supplies to see the kingdom come. This is a hill to die on. A church cannot lose its connection to the activity of the Holy Spirit. He is the mover and shaker in the New Testament. If you read your Bible carefully, you will find he is highlighted and critically important to everything we do. Not just the the few narrow categories of spiritual gifts that some of us assign to the Holy Spirit. Everything that we do is empowered, awakened, accomplished by the energizing life of the Spirit of God. That's a hill to die on. We cannot get far from that. Number four, fellowship. Did you contend for the hill of true biblical fellowship? The community, care, friendship, and family that was intended by the covenant people of God that is based on the common ground we share at the foot of the cross. The love and forgiveness we share in Christ. And the body ministry of serving one another. That can never be something we stop invigorating, making room for, and valuing. Evangelism. Did you toil for the hill of evangelism? A life lived outwardly that prioritizes the spread of the gospel and the making of converts. Into our families our community, our nation, and the world? Did you fight to go and not just to stay? This value gets lost by churches very quickly. God rescues us from the world, starts a new work in us. We learn to fellowship with each other. We turn our back on the lostness of this world. And then we try to keep them from polluting our lives and messing us up. Uh, That's not right. This is a hill to die on. Holiness. This is a hard hill because everything we're doing touches our holiness. But did you strive for the hill of holiness to resist conformity to this fallen world? To renew our minds and lifestyles to conform to the image of Christ? To experience liberty from the control of sin? To be a distinct people who image the glory of God in our lives and in our worship of him? The Bible is about holiness. I know we, you know, feature the Bible is about love. The Bible is about holiness. 
being separated unto God uniquely to be his people for transforming purposes. And then lastly, leadership. Did you take the hill of raising up leaders? This is a short project if there aren't any leaders for the future. A routine of identifying, equipping, and deploying those whom God has gifted and called to lead the body of Christ into fulfilling God's purpose in the end times until Jesus returns. All right, there's your table of contents. I'm not explaining anything further. But I want help from God for us to see, and this is what we're going to be trying to do in the next section here. How does everything that we do as a local church find its way back to one of those seven hills to die on? Because it should. If it doesn't, then we need to question, should we be doing that? Is that something we should be doing? Is that a primary thing for us? So let's pray together. Father, thank you that we even have the privilege and opportunity to be included in an awareness that there's something called the kingdom of God that lasts forever. Lord, what a unique privilege to be part of your people. Lord, more than just an awareness that we are a part, Lord, we're, we're to be rooted, grounded, Growing, maturing, strengthened. Lord, that's a group project. That involves all of us. Each part doing its part, your word says. So Lord, that's why we're here today. To be reminded there are massively important things at stake. And you have called each one of us to be members of the body of Christ that advance your kingdom. Lord, there's a new decade coming. A new decade. Ten years of activity is about to be upon us. We, we want to be engaged and we want to be prepared. So Lord, help us. Let this time today be meaningfully help us to put us in a posture for the next 10 years. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.